uh, welcome to Darby Creek. We're in the in this uh, started this series last week, and uh, and just to if you weren't here last week, I, I'm going to try to tell you the message in about two sentences. Okay, and, and you're like, why didn't you do that last week? Why did it take you like 35 minutes to say two sentences? Well, this is what our job is about. Okay, no. So basically, um, God has, uh, if you're a Christian, God has delivered you from the slavery of sin. And as a result, now you have a relationship with him, and he has uh, a way of living that he has for us as believers to follow him. And and that way of living is basically... uh, you know, uh, living a life pleasing to God, and what does that look like? Well, we said that the Ten Commandments kind of express that in one way, and so we're looking at those Ten Commandments. Now, that was more than two sentences, wasn't it? But you get the idea that that we're living this way. We want to pursue uh, honoring God and, and, and living a life that's pleasing to Him because of what He's done. In other words, we're not doing this, we're not uh, following these commands so that we might be saved, but because we are saved, if we've put our faith in Christ, okay? That's a, it's an important order that we have that in. Um, now, as we um, get into this uh, message today, um, in this, the, the very first commandment, I was reminded of something that uh, happens in the, the classroom where I'm at. I, a lot of you know I teach math at Columbus State, and one of the classes I teach... Um, the way it's laid out is when you come into class, you sign in because a part of your participation grade in the course is that you're there. So you sign in and you pick up one of these. In my class, it's a pink sheet. And you go back and you work for the first 10 minutes of class on this activity. Okay? This activity is basically um, foundational skills that you need to do the stuff we're going to do that day. It might be multiplying and dividing fractions. It could be adding and subtracting fractions. Uh, it could be properties of the number zero. I mean, it could, there's all kinds of stuff it could be. And, but you've you got to know that stuff if you're going to do the stuff we're going to do that day. It's foundational. It's, it's, it's a first thing, right, in a sense. And so this first commandment today is foundational for all the others, all right? It's like uh, and it's, it's, it's focused in on, at least the first few commands especially, are focused in on God and our relationship with Him, right? And if we, if we get that right, if we're rightly related to God, then uh, these other commandments flow out of that, okay? Flow out of having a proper understanding of who He is, and if I have a proper understanding of who He is and have a relationship with Him, then my life will be on the proper trajectory to loving other people, okay? Loving other people who are created in his image. So uh, take a look at these uh, verses here. We're going to look at verses 1 to 3 in Exodus. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And remember, the touch point with last week, we said, um, just in a similar way that God's people were delivered out of the slavery of the Egyptians, um, there in the Old Testament, we as a New Testament believers, if you put your faith in Christ, have been delivered from the slavery of sin. Sin is enslaving. We talked about that. Then it says there in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And this is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And so our task this morning 
really is to figure out, um, you might say, well, this will be a short one because I kind of know what that means. I just worship one God, the one true God we're talking about. Let's go home. Um, but it's important for us to realize this. It's not just about like uh, having these physical idols because typically most of us here in America don't have the issue of, you know, this, these uh, worshiping these physical idols, right, um, that represent other gods. But idolatry is alive and well in our lives and in, and in the lives of this country. And so we need to see that's how we relate this first commandment is to, to talk about uh, false gods, all right, if you will. So, um, so one of the primary aims of every Christian is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, so whether we are at home or away, uh, he means basically whether in the context, you know, being away, uh, being at home with the Lord or being away from him here on the earth, right? We make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. And think about that. That should be your aim as a Christian, right? As a Christian, I want to make it my aim to please the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to live in a manner uh, that, that is in accordance with his will for my life, his, his desire for my life. And then in verse 10, it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so there is a judgment coming, right? And uh, as a believer, certainly, if you're a believer, you've, you've escaped eternal punishment there, but there's going to be an evaluation of our deeds as well and, re- and have some rewards there, heavenly rewards. Uh, but but the, my point here is this first verse is that, you know, as we seek to uh, live out our faith as believers in Jesus, it's this right here. This should be your goal, to live a life that's pleasing to God. Okay, and so how do we learn what that is? That's taking a whole life to figure out, okay? As you, you put your faith in Jesus, you start following him, you read his word, and we just start discovering. We start learning what it, what, how he wants us to relate to him, how he wants us to worship him, uh, and how, he wants to, how, how we are to live in relationship to each other. And this takes a, a lifetime to, to learn and to practice and uh, takes lots of falling down and getting back up. And by the grace of God, we, 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 are, we, we, we desire to walk in his ways and to almost on this trajectory of becoming more Christ-like. That's what happens. When you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes inside you and as the helper and he's going to help you live out your faith, but we have to submit to him. We still have our own will. We can, uh, we can still kind of do what we want, um, but uh, hopefully we're walking in step with the Spirit and, and um, you know, not grieving him, but desiring to do God's will. Every day is a battle to live out what God calls us to, including this commandment. Okay? We're in a battle. And uh, the enemy, Satan, doesn't want us to live for God as believers. He wants us to live a mediocre Christian life and just kind of coast along and wait for heaven to come rather than kind of being a full-on living out for Jesus radically, I might say. In the world's eyes, it will be radical, I think, if if we live for Jesus the way he wants to. And I mean radical in a good way, okay? Um, so, So this is our aim. And so when we get to this first thing here, it's just 
Let's just take a look at what the commandment is saying, right? There is only one God, and we are to worship him only. I mean, the bottom line is that there is one God, uh, one God, and we are to worship him only. Uh, And by God saying, you shall have no other gods before me, he's not saying, and here's what he's not saying, that there are actually other real gods out there, and you must choose me over them. Does that make sense? By saying you shall have no other gods, he's not saying that there are other real gods and uh, that we have to choose him over them. Okay, uh, and This is important um, for us to realize. There's, one, there's only one God. Many false gods that aren't real gods, they're made up in, in man's mind. Okay, um, So God tells us this in his word in a number of places. Psalm 86 verse 10 says uh, the psalmist says for you are great and you do wondrous things you alone are god that's pretty straightforward right <laughs> no argument there god the god uh, in the bible is god alone there are no other gods right now jesus in his prayer to god the father in the gospel of john also reinforces that there is but one god right here he says in john chapter 17 verse 3 He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. So this is Jesus praying to God the Father. He says, know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right? That he may know you, the only true God. Okay? So, um, I'm not sure if you realize this, but remember, as we were looking in Exodus chapter 20 and looking at the Ten Commandments, um, what happened prior to them, in the process of God delivering them. Remember, there were plagues that God sent upon Egypt, right? Because uh, Moses being uh, God's mouthpiece, uh, his man on the ground, if you will, uh, went to the Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Let let God's people go out of this slavery. And of course, uh, Pharaoh, um, many times, many times over and over, said, no way, Jose, in so many words, right? And so he's like, we're not going to do that. You know, that's basically their entire workforce. That's how they're getting everything done, basically. Um, and so, so uh, br- I'm bringing this up because as we're talking about uh, no other gods, if there aren't any other real gods, but do you realize that many most, if not all, of the plagues relate to some false god. You know that? Think about this. Um, the Nile turning into blood. They worship the god of the Nile, right? A false god. They worship him. And God's basically just saying, that's the god's not real. Let me show you. I'm God, right? And so he turns it to blood. And then you have um, uh, there where there's, there's this period of darkness, right? Total darkness. Well, they worship the sun god too, Ra. So God is saying through each one of these plagues, I am the one and only true God. Let my people go. That's what he's saying. There are no other gods. I am him. But um, Pharaoh was hard-hearted, and he would not relent. But I I just want to point that out. uh, And you can even see this in Exodus chapter 12. Okay, Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. He says, for I will pass, this is uh, speaking of the Passover, okay, 
the, it says, I, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. Do you get that? So these are all false gods, but he's trying to say, I'm, I'm trying to show you I'm the one and only. Okay? There are no other gods. One real God, the God of the Bible. But God knew that you know, we would be tempted um, and, 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 you know, with something else at the same time. So sometimes it's not, um, uh, and this is kind of an interesting thing, too, that happens, is that oftentimes it's not about just uh, you know, somebody saying, well, I pick this God over the one real God. It's somebody, um, what happens is we try to, at times, people will try to incorporate stuff from false religions into their walk with God, okay, uh, to their walk with God. And this is called, uh, there's a fancy name for this, it's called syncretism. Syncretism. Let me give you the American Heritage Dictionary ver- uh, rendition of this, what syncretism is. The reconciliation or fusion of differing systems of belief. It's when you try to fuse together differing systems of belief, Okay. Uh, and so, it's almost, so, so think of it as this. It's God, the real God, and something else trying to mesh it together, right? Um, and then the definition, goes, or what I read, read online says, this is most evident in the areas of philosophy and religion and usually results in a new teaching or belief system. Now, more recently, religious syncretism can be seen in such religious systems as the New Age. Hinduism, Unitarianism, and Christian science try to mix a little of this and a little of that, and you've got your own new religion, right? Well, God, the, the God of the Bible, the one true God, demands, he demands our exclusive allegiance and loyalty. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I delivered you, you are mine, and you, uh, you need to see me as we have this exclusive relationship. It's not me and something else. It's not me and someone else. Uh, he is the only one that can occupy the God space in your life. Okay? And this is, this is what he's saying. Now, um, in the, I mentioned to you guys a, a, a book last week um, called The Ten Commandments by Kevin DeYoung. And he has in there a good analogy. I want to share this with you. It relates to marriage. And he says, and I quote, marriage is a good analogy for the first commandment. You cannot have a both-and relationship with your spouse, at least not for very long. He says, suppose a husband came home and said, honey, it's good to see you. I want to introduce you to someone who's very special to me. Don't get me wrong. You're also very special to me. But I've met someone else. She's lovely, and I'm going to spend some time with her, but also a lot of time with you. I just want to let you know that some nights I'll be going to be with her instead. I think you two will get along just fine. You'll be great friends. You both mean so much to me. What should, I, what should a wife say in this situation? Well, I'm sure many of you are calculating right now what you would do. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> You might violate another commandment. That's good. Yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, so, so what should a wife say in this situation? That's great, dear. I'm honored and that I can still be a part of your life. Hardly. 
She's not going to say that. The wife would say, it's me or her, right? Make up your mind. And so should she, right? And if the wife were to say that with a great deal of passion, would anyone think she was being cruel, proud, or unfair and tolerant by demanding exclusivity? No, not at all, right? Uh, She has every right to be jealous. We'd be concerned if she wasn't angry. Some relationships are meant to be either or, not both and. Marriage is a relationship like that. And he says, and so it is with God. Love is at the very heart of the first commandment. If we truly love God, we will love no one else and nothing else like we love God. And that's the heart of it. It's, so you can't have, God is saying, uh, you, are, you are to love me more than anyone else and anything else. Right? Even Jesus talked about this, right? He, in comparison, uh, our love with God compared to our love of family and so on should look like hate in comparison. He's not saying you wouldn't you would hate your kids or your wife, but no, he's saying like the love of God, your love of God is the ultimate love of your life. Now, um, Gary Thomas, who's uh, written on marriage and so on, he reminds us that you know usually in in, in traditional vows and the vows that I uh, have couples say when they're getting married. They say something like this, forsaking all others, I keep myself for you only. Right? So you're saying, it's you only, not you and somebody else. Right? Forsaking all others. Right? And Gary says, he says, if you're still in the marriage, you're still under the vows. So your call is to fight to be closer to your spouse than anyone else in the world. Right? And so take that into our relationship with God. We have to constantly fight that he would have all of our affections. Right, All of our affections. It doesn't mean that we don't have affections for other things, but like he's, nothing's going to take his place. He is to have no competition. Okay? Um, and so uh, I, I think that marriage analogy is a good one here. And as God's people are, are going into the promised land in the Old Testament, do you remember what Joshua said, who's their leader? Um, he has a word for the people. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. You see, he's trying to say, I realize you might be tempted to kind of bring some of that into your relationship with God. But we can't have that. He's saying we cannot have that. Uh, and serve the Lord. He says, and, it is, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Many people remember that part of the verse, right? But the context is he's saying, listen, Where we're going, we serve the one and true God. Leave all that other stuff behind. Anything that uh, you might be tempted to bring into your relationship with God, because we lived lived amongst all these peoples that were worshiping all kinds of gods, right? So, Jesus says something similar in the New Testament. He says, 
here in uh, Matthew chapter 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In this case, he's kind of using money, right? But, but he's saying, you know, you can only serve one master. Who's it going to be? You need to choose. You need to choose. Um, now, up to this point, you may have wondered, what relevance does this commandment have to us? We are not struggling with worship of physical idols as followers of Jesus. We don't believe in other gods. But did you hear what Jesus just said right, in Matthew 6.24? You can't serve God and money. And so that implies that there are other things that can um, try to make their way in there and get their hands around our heart and, and pull us away from God. One of those is money, right? Love of money. Money itself is just a thing that's used for things. It can do good or evil, right? But the love of money is the issue, right? And so, so I think this is, is something that we need to explore for a second. Try to put ourselves in what's going on in the here and now to say, are there some things, money is one of them, that could grab a hold of our heart and pull us away from God if we're not careful. And Philip Ryken, who's a pastor, he suggests two tests to help us examine ourselves to see if we might have a mistress that is vying for the affections of our heart. Okay? And the one, first test is the love test. The love test. We're called to love God with all our hearts and all our minds. So it only makes sense that we should ask the question, what do you love? Another way to put it is, what do you desire? When your mind is free to roam, what do you think about? What do you spend your money on? What do you get excited about? A false god can be anyone or anything we focus on to the exclusion of God. To the exclusion of God. These false gods can be good things that, are now, that now take the place in our heart and in, in our focus that is reserved for God alone. It might be, now listen, career ambition. Is your job taking priority over God? Uh, pers- uh, hobbies, there could be a hobby, you know. For some people, golf is an idol. I don't know how that could be, personally, but it is for some, right? Or whatever, cornhole, right? <laughs> yeah, it's sad, it's a sad, you get, pick a different idol, right? Okay. <laughs> Um, but, but just the whole, you know, the idea is that hobbies can start to creep in and just consume our thoughts, our finance. I mean, just, again, but there's nothing wrong with hobbies, right? Uh, just, you know, keeping it in proper perspective. Uh, personal health and fitness. Some people go overboard, and everything is all about health and fitness, you know? Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with being a good steward of this temple that we've got here that, got, that you know, our bodies that the Holy Spirit indwells, and we should try to take care of them. But, you know, that can become a god. That can become a false god, an an idol in a sense to us. It could even be a ministry in the church. A ministry in the church could become an idol, right? If God's not center stage to what's going on in that ministry, and it's just about, you know, maybe it, maybe it, you're vested in it personally, and it's, and it's about, becomes about you rather than about God, you know, I mean, there's just, you know, there's, 
Again, these are good things that I've just mentioned there, but we must not allow these things to replace God as the object of our affections. That's the love test. The next test is the truth test. The truth test, or excuse me, trust test. (laughs) Not truth test, the trust test. Um, Here's some questions. Again, this is kind of just to give some self-examination a little bit. Um, What do you trust? Where do you turn to in times of trouble? That kind of gives you an indication of what you might be trusting in or who you might be trusting. Um, To trust something more than God is to make it a God. Some people trust their addictions. When they're lonely, they count on drugs, alcohol, sex, or shopping, to this name of you. It's kind of what you go to when you're under stress. Now, some people trust things that are good in and of themselves, but they put their trust in them more than God. What would some of those things be? Your job, your insurance policies, your pension, your IRA. Some people have try to have more security in that than in God. Some people trust the government, science, and medicine more than God. Now, God can use these things that I just mentioned to care and provide for us, for sure. Nothing wrong with saving for the future. Nothing wrong with uh, health care. Nothing, you know what I'm saying? But we, we are to place our ultimate trust and confidence in God alone. You, you make plans, but you ultimately trust in the sovereignty of God. Okay? You do. And so this is important, right? So now here's the thing. You know, I start going through all these questions and uh, these, these the, the love test, the trust test, and thinking about this, and is there something in, in my heart, in a sense, that is drawing me away from devotion to Christ, Right? When I start thinking about this, I start wondering, is there any way I can actually keep this commandment? Because <laughs> this is not, you know, it's, it's easy to say it. <laughs> it's easy to declare our loyalty to God, but it's another thing to do it day in and day out, 24-7, right? And so, like, I'm sitting here preparing for this message, like, God, this is discouraging. Like, like not the commandment itself, but just thinking, I think, you know, I just fall short. You know, and like, it, it just, now... Granted, do you remember that one of the functions of the law is to lead us to Christ? <laughs> so, so I take that as a, as a reminder that thank God for Jesus because I can't keep this commandment every minute of every day, okay? Uh, and that's why Jesus came and Charlie sharing the gospel earlier. We all need a Savior because we're all sinners, you know. We're all sinners, you know. If I took, you know, you take, take just the Ten Commandments and... and you know, give your best guess estimate on the number of times you would have broken those over the years. It's just astronomical, right? But, you know, that's why we have a Savior. And so, I, I'm just so so thankful for Jesus. Okay? So thankful for Jesus. Um, Philip Ryken says, again, he says, the only thing that can tear our hearts away from all the other affections is a true love for God. So here's where I'm going. I'm like, well, so how... If this is so hard, what are we to do, right? What are we to do? And he says the only, the only thing, get this now, the only thing that can replace all the things that we trust is a total faith commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to come to know Jesus as your Savior. Okay? You've got to come to know him as your Savior. And that really brings us to this next uh, 
final point here. We must think of the first commandment in light of the incarnation of Jesus. The incarnation of Jesus meaning that he came here on the earth, right? And he, the Son of Man, it says, came to seek and to save that which is lost, right? He, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so when we think of the first commandment and God saying, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm the one and only God and you're not to have any other gods before me, okay? Before me, he's just saying, uh, you know, how do we live that in light of Jesus' coming? Okay, well, this is a good question. Again, I'm going to get to um, how, how does this work now that even though as a believer I still struggle with, you know, in a sense, idols, things that try to draw me away from, uh, as Paul says, the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Right? We'll get to that in a second, but I want to talk about um, Jesus for a second. This is important. That uh, The Bible teaches that there is one God in three persons. Okay, uh, Father, the, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All you know, there's one God, but expressed in those three persons. This is very difficult for us to understand. People have tried to come up with all kinds of analogies. They all come short of 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 this reality. But we see this reality in Scripture. Now, let me just let's just focus in on Jesus for a second here. Uh, John chapter 14, verse eight to eleven. Verses eight to eleven. Philip said to him, Lord, Philip talking to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What's Jesus doing? What's he saying? Like, I'm God. (laughs) You want to know what God's like? Look at me. Look at how I'm living. Look what I'm like. I, you know, and, and we, other places in the New Testament says Jesus is the exact representation of his nature, of God's nature, right? And so um, clearly Jesus is saying, I am God. Okay. Um, you know, anybody that says that Jesus didn't say this is just not able to read words. I'm serious. I mean, you just can't, how could you come away with any other thing? They're saying, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and many other places, right? Many other places. You know, uh, when when he told that guy that the 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 that they dropped down through the roof there, the, those uh, brothers uh, sent this guy down through the roof trying to get Jesus to heal him, right? And and, and um, you know, and then and then when Jesus is in the process of healing these people, he's saying, and he also gives forgive sins, right? Well, who has authority to forgive sins? God. I mean, it's, Jesus is God. And so, so uh, as, as it goes on, it says, do, not, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? There is this oneness. Again, God is one, but in these three persons. It says, the words that I say to you, and I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. A lot of these miracles and these works, yes, Jesus was was um, motivated by compassion, but also he's showing that he has the authority. He is God. Okay? He can heal. Now, um, so w- what I want uh, us to see here is that Jesus came to deliver us from all these false gods. Okay? It's only by coming into a relationship with God through Jesus that 
the power of these idols in our lives could ever be broken, okay? and that we could ever make progress in, in saying no to them and yes to God every day and every moment of every day. Okay? It's only, we got to have the forgiveness that God offers to us through Jesus. We've got to have a relationship with Him in order to say no to these things that are vying for the affections uh, in our hearts. Only God can satisfy. We experience that satisfaction as we put our faith wholly in Jesus and receive the forgiveness Jesus offers. And so once that happens, and we receive the Holy Spirit, right, uh, then He comes into our lives and He begins this transformation process. Okay? And and uh, I don't have the... I guess I don't have the verses up there. I thought I did. Oh, I do. Sorry. Um, here it is. Uh, 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is kind of shows us one of the things that's trying to pull us away, right? We live in the world, but as believers, we're not supposed to be of the world. We're not supposed to love the world. All the false gods in our world, right? The promises, the empty promises that money gives us or status tries to make to us or, or, you know, any kind of sex outside the confines of of uh, marriage between the man and the woman, that those might promise us. Um, I mean, it's just those all fall short, right? And the only way we're going to be able to walk uh, before our God as believers in a way that's pleasing to Him is by His power. And there has to be a greater affection for God than these things to expel them out of our lives, okay? Okay. this last verse, Matthew 13, 44, Jesus is, is giving uh, this, um, he's giving a whole series of little parables about the kingdom, about the kingdom. And he says here, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In his joy. John Piper mentions of this. In other words, the joy of the kingdom is just consuming his life. right? And and it says there that he he goes and sells all that he has to get that. right? And John Piper says this. He says, the power at work to drive out all the old affections, the love of the world, is a new power. This power is from his joy. The exclusive power is coming from from somewhere. It's coming from a new joy. Joy is the new affection. And so this is what we need to see is that the only way we're going to keep those things at bay that vie for the affections of our heart, right, that would be like cause it to be out of balance and God not be central, is a is a close walk with God that's filled with his joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, right? We see in Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I don't know about you guys, but I've had some days where, and some time periods where that joy has not been there. All right? And that's the reality. Some days, some weeks, some months, we struggle with not having the joy of the Lord. And uh, so then it's sometimes easy for some of these other affections to creep in and um, for them to kind of take hold in our heart. But but you know, um, God is God is uh, God is faithful to us, 
And I'd say, if you're, you find yourself in a place where you lack the joy of the Lord, what you need to do is you need to spend some time with him. Um, and I don't know if that's something that's familiar to you or not, but that you spend some time in the word of God and in prayer and calling out to him and saying, God, I know my, I know my walk with you is not about, all about the feelings, but I'm just feeling distant from you. And you might even consider praying that, that prayer that's um, in Psalm 139. That basically the psalmist says, you know, search me, Lord, right? Search me, Lord, uh, see if there's any hurtful way in me. You know, you, you look at my heart, God, while we're here right now talking, while we're here seeking you. Would you show me if there is anything in there that, that has gotten hold and is not, it shouldn't be there in my heart? that's grabbing hold of my affections more than it should, that I desire more than you. You know, just, you just got to go, because, you know, and maybe, and it could be that there's nothing. You know, it could be that there's nothing going on in there. Everything's all good. It's just that you're going through this test of faith. Right? You're going through, we, you know, we just went through the book of Job. I mean, one of the things we learned there is it doesn't always have to be that somebody's in sin that they go through a very difficult time. Right? And so, so, you know, if you, this, this joy of the Lord, this, our, our close walk with God is what's going to help us say no to the false gods that vie for our affections, okay? But you've got to have the Holy Spirit, right? You've got to have a relationship with God. The, the power of sin has to be broken in our lives. As, as Romans tells us, that's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus, Sin no longer has dominion over us. We can say no. We can say yes, but we can also say no. Okay, Let's go to God. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we are coming to you this morning so thankful, first and foremost, that Jesus Christ uh, has, uh, has come and has demonstrated the love of God for us in that he, he offered himself up willingly on the cross he laid his life down so that we might have eternal life, so that we could be forgiven. We're so thankful for that. And Lord, we just want to be honest with you. We, we know that uh, we're not able to uh, keep that first commandment um, all the time. But Lord, we know that it's your desire for us to have you and you alone in that central place of our life. And so Lord, we just want to confess to you that we have fallen short. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we know Christ as Savior, we say thanks be to God. And so, so Lord, we also just say, Lord, we want, we want to be closer to you uh, in, in our walk. We want, to, we want to spend time with you. God, if we've neglected time with you, if, we've not, if our devotions have just totally non-existent now, if we're not spending time in your word on a regular basis, seeking you, desiring relationship with you, wanting to learn from you and sit at the feet of Jesus, in, in a sense, by, by pouring over your word and praying over it and asking God for you to help us apply it. Lord, we confess, if we've, if we've let those devotions go, God, we want to come back and spend time at your feet. And Lord, we, we just pray you'd help us to, to, to just... I have an honest evaluation, but again, if we know Christ, we don't want to sit there and, and sulk and, and be so discouraged. We want, to, we want to use that as a time to thank you for what you've done for us in Christ and then to, to 
seek you so that our joy in you would just cast out these things that are maybe taking the place of you, that are taking up too much of our time, too much of our money, too much of our attention, more than what you would want us to. And so, Lord, this is such a personal thing, God. It, we, you know, what, what is an idol for one person is, is, is not for another. And so, God, we need, your, we need to hear your voice in our heart this morning. Lord, we again thank you for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.